God is good, isn't he? All the time. Is God good some of the time? All the time. He is always good. He's always got a plan and a purpose, doesn't he? No matter what. Even when, actually, let me take that back, especially when it doesn't look like he has a plan. That's when God's up to something. <laughs> At the moment when you think that he's least involved in your life, he's about to do something that's going to shake you up. Who likes when God shakes you up? <laughs> I do. It's not fun sometimes. You know, last week we talked about, we, I want to continue on this theme of Joshua. I want to bring you into Jericho. I want to bring you into victory. I want to bring you and, and crush the walls, put the walls down on the ground where they need to be. But there's a process, isn't there? Everybody, I want you to say out loud, there's a process. Thank you, God, for the process. God has a way. I want you to say that out loud. God has a way. And it's his way. He has a way and it's his way. And, you know, we can do whatever we want to do. He's given us that. That's free will. God has given that to us as a gift. Just as a parent desires their son or daughter to love them willingly, God is looking for us to love him willingly. He could have demanded worship. And the, the things without the soul, right? The Bible says that if we don't worship him, the thing without the soul, the thing that doesn't have a choice in the matter, the rocks will cry out and worship him. But he wants the thing with the soul. That's you and I. He wants the creation with will inside of them. God moves around. He moves creation at his will without creation arguing. Did you know that? Creation cannot argue when God decides to move, which is also why even in the extreme. Even in extremes, our minds do not compute. We've been talking about this. They don't get this. But even in the extremes of the earth, God sits above the circle of the earth and nothing moves without his will. He moves. Now, men's hearts, he has decided by his own choice. Is he God? Yes. And can he move your heart if he wanted to? Yes, because he's God. But he has chosen to work within the thing that he created called your will. And I love that he's given us will. And I love that once we give him our will, we get to an encounter. Who's encountered the grace, the mercy, and the, and the love of God by surrendering your will? And what God's looking for is a complete and total surrender of our will. He's looking for more will laid down. Come on, I want you to say out loud, more will. <laughs> Jesus said, your will be done. That's what his heart was about. Jesus, the Son of God, submitted to the Father. Who thinks if Jesus did that, that probably a good idea for us. If Jesus said, I'm just going to do the will of the Father, that's my heart, then it's probably a good idea for us. And I want to bring you into Joshua because there was a few things we looked at. There's a process. And God said a few things to him that were very particular. You know, when they came in, he said... In Joshua chapter, Joshua chapter 3, in verse 2, he said, Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, remember we talked last week and we know this as believers, the Ark is representation, Old Testament of God's presence. 
When you see the presence of God, it's the heart of God. It's also inside of that ark was some manna, right? Was the, the law. Inside of that was his provision. It's the, everything in the presence of God is it's his way. It's his heart. It's everything. It's in there. And when you see this, come on, everybody say, when you see God moving, he says, move out from your positions and follow them. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, follow in my footsteps. I'm heading somewhere. And if you follow me, we're going to get somewhere together, didn't he? And it says in Joshua 3, verse 4, it says, since, everybody say, since I have never traveled this way before. <laughs> Who's traveled this way before? God, when he takes you, this sermon series is, is crossing over. I really just started, just started preaching on this last week, and I believe that God is, he wants his people to cross over. And the symbolism in that, even the wording in it, it's cross dash over, right? The cross. You got to use the cross to do it. And we looked at the symbolisms actually in Joshua's story. It's such a picture. Even his name, Joshua, is Yeshua. There, that's where it even, so this picture of Joshua and his story and the picture of leaving the wilderness, leaving the wandering. The Bible says they wandered in the wilderness. They wandered, but the wandering ended. Who has wandered a little bit before Christ? And the wanderings were gone. They were left behind and they crossed the Jordan. They left the place of death and crossed into life. They crossed into the promise and when we cross, when we cross over, when God calls us, as a, a very common theme out of my mouth, and I'm going to say it again, God is not a drive-through. Jesus is not a happy meal, although he is a happy meal. <laughs> he said, I'm the bread. We're going to look at this. I'm the bread of life. And, I, and if you eat from me and if you drink from me, you'll never be hungry and never be thirsty. He's a happy meal, but he's not. McDonald's Happy Meal. His way is his way. And when we accept Christ, what we need to be careful that we do as believers is that we fully understand what we're fully accepting. We need to make sure we're doing it his way. And even, even if someone says, oh, you don't need to worry about all this and that. You don't need to worry about the Bible. Don't worry about all, just, just believe. Okay, I'll believe, but I want to believe the Bible too. And the Bible tells me that when Jesus comes into my life, something begins to happen. I begin to change. I begin to look at the world differently. And I don't just take him on my way. I don't just come up to the drive-thru and put him in my car and just keep driving on my way. The Bible says, put the car in park, get out of the car, come inside and have a meal. Because after this meal, you're not going to get back in that car anymore. You're going to leave that thing behind. You're going somewhere else. That's what happens with Christ. So it's time to cross over and the Lord is saying to us, even as mature believers, because everybody say it again, it's, it's a process. And I love that the Lord's grace, the, that's what grace is. Grace is the place between us and God during the process. God is fully aware and we can rely and lean upon grace. We should never think less of grace. Grace is a big deal. Grace empowers you. It helps you do what God's asking you to do. But grace is not meant to be trampled upon. It is not a license. Grace is not, well, thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. 
It's a joke. It's a joke. Who's heard it from another believer? Thank God for grace. And they say it as a joke because of the sin in their life. I've heard it. And it breaks the Lord's heart. Because the Lord has a way. And the way is a way you've never been before. And we need to understand, actually, that every single day, every single day is a way you've never been before. God is not looking for us to be stagnant. He's not looking for us to stay. There is a rest in him that we looked at last week. There's a cutting off of the flesh, right? He's a, he exposes you and he cuts off the flesh. And then there's a rest and a healing that comes. But that rest and that healing in him is not a place for you to just sit back and be on vacation time. Okay, I got Jesus, now it's vacation time. Jesus says, okay, now that you got me, now you can do what I've been wanting you to do all along. Now I want you to live. And we, our minds say, oh, I know what living is. I know what life is. Well, be careful because that perception of what you think truly living is may have been given to you by the world around you or Satan himself. We need to get what living is and what the picture of life is from his word and from Christ. That is the only life that will matter. There's lots of lives we can live, and we've lived some of them before, and we've seen the detrimental end to them. But the Lord's calling us, and he said in verse four, finally, since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. The Lord is, he has given us everything. Do you know that? He's given us everything. Every spiritual gift you need has been given to us through Christ Jesus. And it says, stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Why? Because when the Lord calls us and the Lord does a work in us, even as mature believers, you know he's still calling your name today. He is never done calling you deeper. There is no end. I mean, look at the expanse of God. Look at his creation. Look outside of the earth and look inside the earth. Look at your own DNA. It's you are constantly growing and changing. Just that's his creation. And, and, and when one thing dies, it feeds life. It feeds the ground for something else to live. That is God's way. And our Christianity is always changing. He's always calling, always Every single day, the moment you think, okay, I've arrived, I'm done, just get ready. Get ready for a real shaking. <laughs> get ready for a wake up from the Lord because we're never done. He's always working on us, always changing us, always molding us, always shaping us, always calling us deeper till the very end. And the very thing the enemy would want us to do is to cross over. Come on, get us to cross over I've crossed over. I left death behind. I'm in life now. I'm in the promise. Well, you technically entered the promised land, but you haven't taken hold of the promise yet. Through Christ, you have the right to the promise. Through Christ, come on, you have the right to the promise. Through him, you cross over to the right to the promise. But there's something that we got to do. You go, wait a second, Jesus did it all. Yeah, he got you across the impossible, impassable thing called death and sin and the lies of the, of the devil. He pushed those things off and got you on this side. And now he said, okay, let's get to work. 
I've just been meditating on this thought. I was praying and, and I was, and I just said a word in my spirit. Sometimes I do that. And then all of a sudden I start getting some revelation. The Lord starts opening some things, starts revealing some things. And I start, I just said the word manna. I was like, Lord, I, I need your manna. And then all of a sudden I started meditating on this idea. I want, you to, I want to ask you a question. It's not a trick question. Who gave the manna from heaven? God did. We, can we agree on that? Did God give it requiring anything of them when he gave it? Or did they walk out there and just see it? Well, I noticed something and I was meditating. And you're right. It says in Exodus chapter 16, verse 11, then the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the Israelites' complaints. Sometimes the Lord answers complaints. <laughs> the Lord loves answering prayers. Sometimes he answers complaints. Come on, you gotta get, let's hear that. He loves answering prayers. Sometimes he answers complaints. He does not have to. I love that he does even complain sometimes because of his grace and his mercy and only because of his grace does he answer complaints. But I've heard them, now tell them, in the evening you have meat, and in the morning you're going to have bread. I want you to see that. It says, you will have, I want you to all read that. In the morning, you will have all the bread you want. <laughs> in the morning, you're going to have all the bread you want. I want you to say that out loud again. In the morning, I'm going to have all the bread I want. Well, I found something interesting. I started meditating on this, and I said, wait a second. Wait a second, Lord. It says in verse 13 that that evening the quail came, and it says in verse 14 that the, when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. It says when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance... As fine as frost blanketed the ground. Wait a second. Can we go back to verse, go back to verse 12? It says, in the morning, you will have all the bread you want. In the morning, you will have all the bread you want. But it says in verse 14, that when they woke up, there was a flaky substance like frost on the ground. They said, what is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was, and Moses told them, it is the food for the Lord has given you. And the New King James Version says, this is the bread which the Lord has given you. This is the bread. Now, if you're like me, and you can get a picture of the ground, now this is an odd thing that God did, but he sustained them and he took care of them and gave them frost he did not give them bread this is interesting he said i'm going to give you all the bread but he actually gave them frost he gave them the ingredients come on i want you to say out loud god gave me the ingredients for the bread the promise was i'm going to give you bread in the morning but God didn't give them loaves of bread. Is God just as capable of raining down loaves of bread? 
can, I mean, let's just think about this miracle for a moment. Who has gathered up a bundle of frost and made bread recently? So is it any less of a miracle? No. But God gave them frost. He gave them a flaky substance. Manna was actually not bread, but the ingredients, 100% of the nutrients and the supernatural sustenance from God was in that flaky substance on the ground. And this is what it says. It said, verse 16, the Lord's instructions, each household should gather. Come on, I want you to say, gather. As much as it needs. Now, Numbers 11, verse 8, tells us what they did. It says, gives us a little more detail on what happened when the frost would hit the ground. It says, the people would go out. Come on, say, I want you to read this out loud. The people would go out. Come on, say, I've got to go out and gather. But wait a second. God said, in the morning, I'm going to give you all the bread you want. Couldn't God just as supernaturally just put the bread in their stomach? Is, are, is God not capable of just actually not even needing to feed them? In heaven, we don't need to eat. We're just going to eat for fun. Who's ready for that? <laughs> I am. I know Dawn is. Dawn and I love food. <laughs> it's true. It's hard to diet that way, isn't it? He could have just as easily just put it right in their stomach. He could have just as easily. Now, Elijah, remember when he was weary, we looked at this sermon a few weeks ago. He was weary to the point of, God, I just, just kill me now, I'm done. And God actually put the bread right next to him, already baked. So is God capable of baking bread? He's got an oven in heaven. And he can bake the bread and the oven's big and he can make as many loaves of bread as, as needed. Jesus said, forget the oven, I'll just multiply the bread. He's capable, isn't he? But it says that they would go out and, come on, let's read it again. Let's, they would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it. Wow. So wait a second. You told me, God, you said you're going to do every, you're going to give me bread in the morning. So wait a second. Jesus, I just gonna, I'm just going to believe in you. Come on. I'm just going to believe in you. I'm just going to believe in you, and I'm going to be saved. Is God lying when he says that? Was God lying when he said there'd be bread in the morning? No, but God has a plan, and he has a way. Come on, I want you to say it out loud again. God has a way. And he's not a liar. <laughs> he's not a liar. We just don't understand that just because he told us something, now, I don't want to pick on my kids. Sometimes you tell them something and they didn't understand. But that doesn't change the fact that we said it. I just didn't understand. And what is the understanding usually comes, the lack of understanding rather, usually comes out of uh, the will in us to do what we want to do. It's easy to not understand when it's going to be something that's going to be annoying for our flesh. It's easy to understand when it's $100 in your pocket. I'm going to, you don't have to do anything to give you $100. What'd you say? <laughs> Go take out the garbage. I didn't hear you. 
Oh, I only said it 25 times. Every single time I didn't hear you. But he said, and then it says, and then they ground it with hand mills or pounding it in mortars. Everybody say then. What do you mean then? God, you said in the morning I'm going to have all the bread I want. What do you mean then? Then they boiled it in a pot. You know no one's eaten yet. <laughs> this would be Dawn's worst nightmare. Sorry, baby. Sorry. I love you. <laughs> you just, I love you. like icing. Doesn't matter what the cake, you can like, you, it falls out of the pan, it hits the, the kitchen floor. Just put it right back on, put some icing on it. No one would ever know, right? They boiled it in the pot, and then they made it into flat cakes. Now it's starting to sound like some bread. And then they got to enjoy it. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. We love that. We say, wow, God gave them manna, and it tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. Yeah, because they ground it up, they gathered it from the ground, then ground it or pounded it, and then, then put it into a shape, and then they boiled it and finally got to enjoy it. But did this come from them? Or was this still 100% from God? Jesus is 100% the bread from heaven. There is nothing you can do to make manna. You can take it though in and you can do some grinding you can do some gathering you can do some shaping you can let the lord now you got to use your you got to use your spiritual mind we're not grinding and shaping jesus right jesus is doing that to you all right but there is a process he is complete the nutrients in christ are 100 percent already done they did not add it doesn't say they added one ingredient to this. That's a good thing. Sometimes <laughs> we shouldn't add extra ingredients to a good recipe. Like meatloaf, right? Just let it be. It's good just how it is. Jeannie's on a quest to perfect it. <laughs> Jimmy likes it every time. <laughs> but the Lord said in the morning you're going to have all the bread you want and I was praying and then all of a sudden this, this came to me and I was like whoa God whoa and then not only that but then you have something and you want to share it can you give someone what you've got? You can give them Christ, but the next person that I give Christ to, I can't just say, well, just, just, you just do what I do. You just believe. There's a process to got you to be who you are. It is Christ. It's the simplicity of Christ that saves you, but there's a process. And then we can give Christ to the next person, but that's why Jesus didn't say, 
go out and, and, and just, just uh, tell people, just say, yes, Jesus, and, 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 and that's it, and give them a, a ticket, and we'll see everybody in heaven. That's why Jesus said, go out and preach the gospel and make disciples. Make disciples. Because there's going to be a similar grinding, pounding, and baking, and boiling process that we love. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That we love in our lives, in their life. And Jesus is so good. I already gave you the preview when I said it. He, the Bible says that he took the bread and he broke it down. And he broke it down. I love that. The Lord just all of a sudden, just bam. I want to talk about Joshua. I want to talk about going and taking on the walls of Jericho. And I just, all of a sudden, it hit my heart because I was looking at, there was a way. I mean, God told him, stay back. You got to do it this way. There's a very specific process that we looked at last week, including the circumcision of the heart, right? That happens in us. There is a process. And if we try to do it any way but his way, we're going to mess it up. God's grace is like, it's kind of like pinball. It will bounce you. It'll protect you. You're bouncing around wildly, but he's trying to curb you, <laughs> trying to get you into his will your whole life. But he's gracious. He's soft. He's not a hammer every time. <laughs> Sometimes he is. Sometimes we need, we were talking about that. Sometimes you need a hammer to the forehead. But he's gentle with us and he's gracious to us. God's restoring some things in our lives. He's making up for lost time. No matter where you are, no matter what age you are, no matter what is going on in your life, he's restoring you and he's taking us in. He wants to us to be his complete and total fulfilled church. That's his heart. God's not a fan of shortcuts. You know they didn't take a shortcut to get to the promised land. Everybody, if you're a believer, you've known, it looks like it's all mature believers here today. If you, you know that it could have taken, I think it was 11 days, right, to get to the promised land. It took them 40 years. God's not a fan of shortcuts. Jesus was being tempted by Satan, right? Three temptations of Christ. And he said, just turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, by every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? Why? Because Satan's always going to try to get you to do things the easy way. Who believes that Jesus was certainly capable of turning those stones into bread? Was it a lack of ability? You might have the ability to do things for God even in you. God has a way. Just because the ability is in you, just because you have uh, the mind or the strength or whatever, doesn't mean that it's God's way. We need to get God's way for us right now. Otherwise, we're going to waste time. We need to know what is his way. What do you want from us in this hour? If you were to look at the world, you could come up with 50 different, and that's light, 50 different scenarios of where that we are in the history and in how close to his coming or not, or 
what we're supposed to be doing or what the United States should be doing in this time and who are we. We just need to know what is God's will for us right here. This group of people right here. What is God's will for us? What is your heart for us? And the Lord, I can promise you, is not, he'll take you the easiest way possible (laughs) that will be the best way for your soul. But he will not let you, I mean, you can, but the Holy Spirit's there. He's knocking on your heart. Jesus said, I, behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking on your heart. Like I was saying, he never stops knocking. I believe your heart's more like a home. I don't believe it's, an, it's, a, it's a loft. It's not a New York City loft. There's not one door and everything's there in one room. I believe who knows their hearts are uh, uh, <laughs> a 50 apartment It's New York City inside your heart. There's that many doors. And the Lord's just knocking on one door at a time. Let's deal with this. Let's deal with that. Let's deal with this. And I believe he's never going to stop knocking on the doors of our hearts until the very end, which means that we need to be looking to him like never before. We need to get his will and get his heart now. Because the Bible says... And do we have time for this? I'll breeze into this and then I will stop, I promise. And then we'll pick it up next week. But the Bible says that they came up to the gates of Jericho and they were, Joshua chapter 6 verse 1, if you don't do it God's way, you don't have his heart and you don't have his will and you're not following his specific plan, not a plan that sounds good and not a seven steps or 10 steps or 20 steps to get you to where you need to be right now in your Christian life. None of that. Just what God, what is the one step? Come on, I'm gonna write a new book. It's called One Step. (laughs) That's it. One Step. Subtitle, Jesus. Just get close to him. Jesus knows the way because he said, I am the way. He knows the way. And he said, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut, Joshua 6 verse 1, because the people were afraid of the Israelites. And I looked it up. It said, I read a little commentary that the city of Jericho, it was built thousands of years before Joshua was born, and it was one of the oldest cities in the world. In some places, it had fortified walls up to 25 feet high and 20 feet thick. And soldiers standing guard on top of the walls could see for miles. Jericho was a symbol of military power and strength. And specifically, the Canaanites, who were the inhabitants of the land, that God was telling them, this is your land, right? We read this last week. He told Joshua, everywhere you put your foot is your land. But Joshua, be careful. It is your land, but you need to keep the word inside your mouth, meditate on it day and night, and that will make your way prosperous, right? We know we love those verses. You want to make your way prosperous, keep that word in there. But the Lord already told him, this is your land. And if you come up, and there, this is for all of our lives, there will be 25 foot high, 20 foot thick walls in front of you right now. Right now. And God's already said it's done. We are fighting a defeated foe. The devil's already defeated. 
The only reason he has any power and simultaneously our greatest weapon against him is either obedience, that's our greatest weapon, or disobedience, the reason that he has any place in our lives. And it's the moment where we need to look ahead. We need to stand at those walls. The Lord's calling us to, he called us, he freed us. Let's look at this picture now in full. He freed us. He crossed us over. We left death behind. We've been cut. He gave us circumcision, right? He cut off the flesh. He has purified us. He got our eyes set on his presence and we're following him. Okay, now you're my people. Now I've got a job for you to do and it's to take this land. It's not to just be my glorious church and that's amazing and we will be for all eternity. But the church is not within a building and it is not you in your prayer time. That is your, your relationship with him, but that's not the church. The relationship with him is the key, but it's outside. It's because of that that then you go out. He did something in their hearts, and he's doing something in our hearts, and that's why we have to let him finish it, because whether you like it or not, there is a Jericho that is in front of you. It is standing in front of you right now. And it, who can sense it in the world today as a believer? That there is a Jericho. Even in this nation, there are Jerichos. But the Bible says, well, firstly, the Canaanites considered it invincible. Just as Satan does. Like I said, I, I read it. I'm looking. I see Revelation. It tells me what's going to happen. And somehow he's still doing what he's going to do. And that must be some, it's got to be, something that's not clicking in his mind. He thinks he's invincible. But God is, God is not uh, surprised. He is not, he is not confused by what's going on in the spirit and in this world. And he said in Joshua chapter six, verse two, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. I've given you Jericho. I've given it to you. I've given it to you. Come on, I want you to say it out loud. God has given me Jericho. And it's because of the process that I can take it. It's because I've submitted to him. It's because I set my heart on him. It's because I let him do what he needed to do in me. I let him cut some things off of me and I let him feed me and I let him test me and I let him try me and I let him do all that. So now I believe him when he says that I've given you Jericho. And it says, and you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. And we know the story. They go around each, they go on for seven days. And then on the seventh day, he said, on the seventh day, gave orders to the people in verse seven, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. And after Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horn started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. And then it says, he told them, do not shout, do not even talk, he commanded, not a single word until I tell you to shout, then shout. God has a way. And I, the reason that 
I got into this sermon the, the, where I did the preface, I'm getting to this culmination right here in this moment is because when I read these words, I thought, God, you know, we could, we could ask all these questions. Why did you have us cross the Jordan when it was flooded? Why did you have to feed us this way? Why did you have to do this? Why did you have to do that? Why didn't you make us bread? And we could ask God a million questions over and over and over and over again until we die. And that's fine. Sometimes in your private time, just for fun, you want to ask God questions and start searching around. That's fine. But the better thing to do is just say, God, your way is your way, and I'm going to submit to it. It would be a lot easier and a lot more productive in our lives. And he told them, don't say anything. You, there's a million sermons on why and why God did this. And instead of saying any of those sermons, I'm just going to say this, because God said not to. There are amazing revelations of why they shouldn't shout and why they shouted here, because God said not to. Sometimes God says not to do something and we, and we just need to listen to God. I don't know why, I don't know what he's gonna do in this time. I don't know what he's gonna call this church to do. I don't know what the world's gonna look like in this time, but I know that God has a way and I wanna do it his way because he said it. And if he says it, then Jericho's falling down. The victory is gonna come. We gotta do it his way. And he says, and they did this seven times. And then it says, on the seventh day, verse 15, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, come on, everybody say out loud. This time, the Lord had a different plan, day seven. You can't just do things the way you've always done them. Sometimes it's day seven. Well, I got a different plan today. We got to get to the heart of God. He said, this time, I want you to march around it seven times. And the seventh time around as the priest sounded the loud, long blast of the horns. It says, verse 16, the Joshua commanded the people. It says, he said, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. And in verse 20, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. And suddenly, not because they shouted, this wasn't something in science, I totally reject any sermons that say it was, you know, they loosened up the foundations and they did all these things by all the, I, give me a break. Just give me a break. Okay, manna came from heaven and flaky dust that he gave to me 100% and I had to make it bread. But nonetheless, he gave me bread every morning. God did this. The Bible says because they did what God said to do, not because uh, of a special strategy. It's not the strategy itself. It's because they were obedient to the voice of the Lord. It's because there was a, a nation inside that wall that said, we're going to do things our way. Forget your God. And they said, I'm going to do things God's way. And because of that, it says, suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. In fact, it says that the wall fell flat. Pull up the New King James. It says, the wall fell down flat. You don't have a 25 foot high, 20 foot wide wall fall flat. That's pretty much a box. How does a box, it's a little bit taller than it was wide. Come on. It doesn't just fall flat unless the Lord just pushed it over. And the only reason it got pushed over is because they had listened to the Lord and done things his way. 
If there is something in your life and if there is something that, the, that God has his church up against, and he does right now, I can tell you that right now, don't be asleep that there are things that the church is up against and there are walls of Jericho that are in front of us right now in your own personal lives and as a church. And if we don't do things his way, then you can shout, you can not shout, you can sing, you can dance, you can blow the shofar and you can do all this stuff. It's not gonna matter unless it was God's strategy, period. And it says that they charged straight into the town and captured it. Actually, the Bible says that in the New King James, it says, then the people went up. It says that the wall fell flat down and then the people went up. You do things God's way. You trust him, you believe in him, you look upon him, you let him deal with you, you let him and, and just submit to his way. He'll bring the walls down and he's gonna raise you up, put you right on top of the very thing that was opposing you. And it says, in fact, the word up, it says that the word is all law. I don't know how you say it in the Hebrew, something like that. And it means to ascend. It means to mount. It means to arise. It means to ascend up at once, to bring up. It means to increase. It means to perfect, to recover, to restore, to scale, to spring up. The Lord, let's, let's stand. And I kept you to 1215. Look at that. The Lord is looking for his church. I wanted to bring you right. I was so excited to preach about Jericho. And Jericho's not really the point. That's why the Lord had two sermons just to get you to those walls. That's not the point. The Lord's gonna bring the walls down. That's him. The point of these two sermons was the Lord is looking for us. We have to do things his way. Let's just raise our hands to heaven. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, we know you have a way. Show us your way. We thank you, God, for your plan and your purpose. And we thank you, Lord, that every single wall, because you said it, every single opposition, every devil, every curse, everything that's been set against us, it will fail and it will fall below our feet. We will tread upon the lion and the scorpion. And I thank you, Lord, that no plague, no pest, nothing will touch us. We're under your wings. We're under your blood. But your key to your word is that we have to do it your way. We have to get under your shadow. We have to get in that blood by choosing it. You said, believe in me, and it's a choice, and we're going to keep choosing it, keep trusting in you, and I thank you, God, that every single thing that has come against us will fail. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.